This is The Blood Doctor Show. On a Monday. On an infuriating fucking Monday. And I enjoyed my weekend. I took some time off. Took some time to myself. Chillaxed. And I thought I was going to come back here and enjoy recording my Monday podcast and do all of that stuff. And no. No, I can't enjoy it. I can't have a good time and just do my show and talk about fun basketball stuff from this weekend or Devin Booker scoring, you know, 41 and three quarters last night. I can't talk about any of that because what's happened? The Atlanta Hawks have fired Lloyd Pierce in yet another display of just pure racism. I don't know what else to call it at this point. I don't know what else to call it. If you are a black coach or a black executive in the NBA, you simply do not have the leash that white executives and coaches have. It has been proven over and over again. And here we have it. Here we have a coach who has basically never had an opportunity to get off the ground, now being fired before he even has the opportunity to prove himself. It has happened time and time again, and it is beyond, fr- and I'm just so, I'm so mad. I am so fucking mad. And if you're not mad, then you're part of the problem. And I understand if some people would say, oh, you know, you shouldn't be the one to speak on this issue. No, we should all be the one to speak on this issue. This league and the <laughs> the league is 80% black and the players are 80% black. And yet somehow almost all of the managing partners are white. The majority of the executives are white. The majority of the coaches are white. Anyone who doesn't see the racism in that, the absurdity in that, that it is 2021 and <laughs> this is absurd. It's absurd. And I'm stumbling over my words. I'm, I'm, I'm like stuttering. I, 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 I can't even get words out because I'm just so, what is it that the Hawks expected Lloyd Pierce to do? I'm just curious. Like, let's go over, let's just go over this timeline, okay? Let's go over what has actually happened here. Lloyd Pierce was hired to coach a team that was nowhere near ready for the playoffs or anything like it. But because of how exciting and electric and, you know, whatever a prospect Trey Young was, you know, people sort of had outsized expectations. Oh, well, Travis Schlenk came from Golden State and he's an expert scout and this is his version of Steph Curry. And all of those things were stupid. And we've all over time said that they were stupid. We all know that. But the point is that the hype was way ahead of where it should be. That is just the case. And despite the fact that Trey Young was a nice young prospect, the rest of the roster was nowhere near ready for anything, which is, again, how Travis Schlenk intended to build the team. Let's not forget that the reason that Travis Schlenk traded Luka Doncic, because the Hawks had Luka Doncic. Now, this is Travis Schlenk's own reasoning. He said this on the Adrian Wojnarowski podcast. He said that he wanted an extra lottery pick so they could basically take an extra shot at getting a superstar because they figured that the extra pick from Dallas would still be high. So he said, well, you know, we essentially believe that Luka Doncic and Trey Young have an equal chance of becoming superstars, so we'll take Trey Young and then take an extra lottery pick at that. So this is a guy who was acknowledging that he was potentially choosing the worst one, but he believed it was a coin flip either way, and that he wanted another seventh pick to take, you know— to take a shot with again. So he was acknowledging, maybe I'm wrong, but I'll have another opportunity. And maybe I'm right that Trey Young is better. Uh, 
you know, I don't, I don't want to relitigate any of that stuff. But my point is that his own thought process was, we'll take the 50-50 shot on one guy and hopefully get a pick that we have another 50-50 shot with, even if we think that maybe Trey Young isn't necessarily potentially as good. He tried to say that he thought that they had an equal chance of being great, but the simple fact of the matter is, I mean, come on. (laughs) Come on. Like, really? Like, come on. It's regardless. That's his own, his own rationale. So a guy who knew that he was taking lottery shots, okay? A guy who knew that he was long, far away from making this team into anything. A, A guy who, by his own admission, when he made the trade for Luka Doncic, was already looking at next season and already thinking about next season. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be planning for the future, but if you're making decisions in this year's lottery based on next year's lottery, you're definitely not planning to be good. So there's no possibility that Atlanta can tell anyone, well, we expect it to be this good very quickly. I don't care what anyone says about anything. This was a bad way to approach this. And if this is one of those things where, well, you know, the managing partners dictated, then fuck them. Fuck them. Fuck them. This is the whole problem. They don't understand building a team and they shouldn't be allowed to dictate anything because that leads to Atlanta doing a bunch of things this offseason, throwing different contracts at guys that don't fit, you know, Rondo, Bogdan, Bogdanovich and, and, and um, Danilo Gallinari. It's not that these are necessarily bad players, but now they have so many players at so many positions that they have too many guys that they're trying to play, which leads to a boggled rotation. It leads to confusion. And now it seems like John Collins is on his way out and there's fighting between Trey Young and John Collins and everything is just not working. You need to add veterans to a young team when that team is ready to compete. Sure. You do not need to stack the team with so many veterans that your young guys don't even get the chance to play, or you do not need to tell those veterans that you need them to play, pay them a bunch of money, and then immediately sit them on the bench because they're not working for you. Atlanta has been a bit of a jumbled mess at times, guys in and out of the lineup. That's how it goes, regardless of all of this. What possibility was there for, like, real success this season? I understand that, you know, they made these free agency signings and, you know, the East is whatever and blah. Dude, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of a shortened season. We're in the middle of just a complete, everything's a clusterfuck right now, all across the country, not just within the basketball world, not just within the NBA world, all across the country and around the world even. We're in a bit of a clusterfuck situation, you might have noticed. Now, sure, the rest of the world dealt with it better than we did, but The idea that everything could be ramped up simply by, you know, signing free agents or whatever, or you could take guys, we'll just take this team to the next level because we made a couple of moves, blah, blah, et cetera. It doesn't work that way. And just assuming that Lloyd Pierce can fix everything within 34 games, because that's how many he's coached this season, they're 14 and 20, that he's going to have it perfectly worked out within 34 games. And if he doesn't, he should be fired. It's just bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. The whole situation is flawed. They literally came into this season saying, hey, we want to win now, so we're just going to sign a bunch of veterans, and we don't have a balanced roster, and we don't know exactly how the rotations are going to work, and the pieces don't necessarily fit together, but you just you figure it out. The roster is flawed. There's a lot of talented players, but they don't fit together perfectly yet. And a lot of the guys haven't grown into the roles that were anticipated for them this season. And you might say, oh, well, you know, the coach should have developed them. Well, player development is also part of what the front office does. 
And all of this goes to say that there was simply no way to expect that that um, Lloyd Pierce was just instantly going to have success this season. It was just a bullshit idea. Let's like let's compare situations. Look at what the Suns did. Okay, the Suns had a really good team, right? But they weren't quite there in terms of competing in the West. Just a lot of good young talent. So what did they do? They swapped a couple of their veterans for Chris Paul, a fucking all-pro point guard, a legend, okay? A guy who changes the game for your team. Then they signed Jay Crowder, okay? A combo forward who can fit in to any team. Play defense, shoot threes, pass. Jay Crowder can do a little bit of everything. Everyone loves Jay Crowder. So not only did you add an all-world point guard, but you added a really smart veteran two-way forward. Really good idea. Then they brought back their other guys and look at the result, right? You let the team grow. And then when you're ready, you acquire true, you acquire a true difference maker, a floor raiser and a ceiling raiser. And then you add a quality veteran on top of that. What Atlanta did was basically just go sign the biggest names that they could possibly find and shoehorn them into the roster and just say, well, you know, we'll figure it out. And, you know, again, it's not that... It, it's not even necessarily that th- that was a bad idea or that it couldn't work. But the simple fact of the matter is that you had like barely any sort of training camp. These guys don't have chemistry together. And now 34 games later, you're pulling the plug and everyone should be. It's just bullshit. And the simple fact of the matter is that it comes back to the fact that Lloyd Pierce is black. Black coaches simply don't get the leeway that white coaches do. Black executives don't get the leeway, the leeway that white coaches do. And here we have. Yet another example of that with a person who is not responsible for this, or at least only partially responsible, being hung out to dry. You know, he didn't, you know, he's not the reason that Trey Young is terrible on defense. That's always going to be a problem, no matter what you do. That's not his fault. You have to build a roster that can, you know, compensate for those things. And Atlanta has tried. They've done, they've done a lot. It just... (laughs) They have so many pieces. They need to have a more streamlined team. They just do. They're they're so unbalanced. You have you just you you can't you can't just throw money at everyone, bring in veterans, have no training camp, expect the young guys, you're gonna play at a perfect level. And if you don't, we'll swap you out of the roster. I, I don't I don't see how anyone is gonna have success in this situation. Coming into this season, I, I kind of just looked at that situation and I, I was like back and forth on it. And I'm just like, man, I don't know because I'm sitting here listening to everyone talk about it. Right. I'm sitting here listening to everyone talk about what Atlanta is going to be. And they're like, well, you know, it's going to be interesting seeing, you know, now these lineups with Trey young and, you know, Deandre Hunter and Cam Reddish and uh, John Collins and Clint Capella and Bogdan Bogdanovich and Danilo Gallinari. I'm like, dude, you've already, Like, you listed so many people, and we haven't even listed the other people that they're supposedly trying to work into the rotation. Like, it it just felt to me like I was like, I don't understand. I didn't understand the the lineups work best. Team lineups work best when everyone has a defined roles. You have, like, five starters, your sixth man, and then three to four regular role players. And, you know, some of those things rotate now. Obviously, you know, guys may start. Some nights based on matchups, they may come off the bench other night based on matchups, but you should have your core guys, you have your sixth man, and then you have everyone else in the role that they understand. And you'll often hear from teams that fail that, you know, guys didn't understand their role. And 
you know, they didn't know what that situation was or how to, they didn't understand what the team wanted from them. And I'm, you know, again, some of these things that go on, they are, they lie at the fault of the coach. They really do. I understand that. And, you know, chemistry and, you know, fighting and, um, you know, team meetings and all these things. Some of that stuff has to do with the coach. But what is, there are plenty of teams that are disappointing this season. And they're not, you're firing your coach in the middle of a pandemic when you're not even like out of the playoff race completely or anything like it. It's not like Atlanta's like, seven and 31 and they haven't been able to win at all. They're 14 and 20. They're struggling more than expected. They haven't quite figured everything out in the way that everyone's hoped. It hasn't come together in, in a perfect, you know, I'm not not trying to sit here and like litigate, you know, what should the Hawks rotations be this season? That's not what this is about for me because yeah, things aren't perfect. And again, when you're adding multiple veterans and telling young kids, don't worry, you're not going to lose your role. It's all going to be the same, but you all have to win this season. When you just throw all those things together and there's not a Chris Paul at the head of the snake who's leading it and it's still your young, you know, third or fourth year point guard and, you know, you're you're figuring these things out. Like, it, it doesn't come together that quickly, that easily. I've watched this in Phoenix over and over. I've watched this scenario where it's like, well, you have Booker and a bunch of other guys. You should just be winning now. It doesn't work that way. You have to have everything going in the organization. And so I'm not trying to sit here and litigate the way the Hawks play or something like that. I'm just trying to sit here and say that organizationally, anyone who would have expected that the Hawks were going to be phenomenal this season you were you were crazy. You know, maybe the expectation is that they would be what, like 18 and 16 or 19 and 15 or even 20 and 14. That might have been a reasonable expectation for where this team would be in terms of a reasonable expectation on the high end. But this team was going to be like a 500-ish team. And anyone who expected that they were going to be way above that is foolish. So to pull the plug on everything before, like we haven't even hit the break Go go to the break. Give him a chance to reconfigure, recalibrate, make adjustments. That's what you do. That's how these things go. Especially, again, with a shortened training camp, with such a different rotation from last season, with so much expectations piled on them, you have to give the guy a fucking season. And it just proves yet again that it, it just, if you're a black coach, you will be blamed for everything and you will be fired. I mean, look at, okay, here are some other examples. Here's a couple of comparisons that I found that I just wanted to talk about. I know this is not exactly comparable, but Brad Stevens had a losing record through his first two seasons in Boston and then started the first two months of his third season, 20 and 19. And now this is the benefit with the benefit of having training camp and knowing his roster and, you know, all these things. Now, again, he ended up doing a phenomenal job that season. They won 48 games, but he was given the time to adjust and they were a lot better in the second half of the season than the first but if you looked at that point, two and a half years into his career, Brad Stevens had a losing record. And if he was being judged by that same standard, then he should have been fired because it's only just a couple of games different. So how is that? How does that not prove that Lloyd Pierce wasn't given enough time? He simply wasn't. But you gave Brad Stevens the time because of some crazy mythology about what a genius he was. And I wonder what that mythology was based on. And I'm not trying to impugn Brad Stevens or say that he's a bad coach, but I don't understand why 
his first two and a half years having a losing record didn't mean anything and he shouldn't have been on the hot seat. But now Lloyd Pierce deserves to be fired because he did also roughly the same job through his first two and a half years. Oh, except he also coached through a pandemic and had to deal with major roster turnover heading into his third season with no uh, training camp really to speak of. Oh, yeah, just a small minor difference there. Here's a different style of example, but still crazy. What about Scott Brooks? Washington has literally gotten worse every single year that he's been there. The team has been on a continuous downturn and in the tank. And sure, a lot of that has to do with team makeup and all that good stuff. But what about the fact that I thought we didn't give a shit about that? I thought that we still had to look at results because that's what Lloyd Pierce is being fired for. And Scott Brooks has held on to his job for years as his team continues to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And we can sit here and point out, well, the roster and blah, 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 blah. You don't suck on defense every single fucking year and be one of the worst teams in the league every single fucking year because you've got a really good and competent head coach who knows what they're doing. Okay, I don't really give a shit about the roster. We have all seen coaches coach G League guys up to the point that they can at least compete because they try hard. We've seen that all the time. And you've literally never seen that out of Washington. And yet Washington kept has kept Scott Brooks forever. They also kept Ernie Grunfeld forever, by the way, who I know was an executive and not a coach, but it didn't change the fact that for years he drove that team into the ground. He did everything incorrectly. He made terrible trades. He made terrible free agency decisions. He made awful extensions. Every single thing that he did was bad. And he had his job for like 15 years or some shit. Just bulletproof in Washington, because who cares, right? Because it's a white guy. So it just doesn't matter. And again, I know that Scott Brooks has a history and, you know, Lloyd Pierce is due. But also, like, you know, Scott Brooks also won, you know, 20 some games in his first season with OKC. But the difference is that Lloyd Pierce doesn't have Kevin fucking Durant. You've got to be able to see the differences here. You've got to be able to look at these things and analyze when you're jumping the gun based on the situation and not what the coach is actually doing. Now, I'm not privy to what goes on inside the Atlanta Hawks locker room. I'm not, okay? So I don't know if the players want this. I don't know. I don't know any of those things. So there's always a behind-the-scenes element to these things that we don't know about that could affect whatever. But the simple fact of the matter is that I don't care about those things in this case, because if it's an issue of chemistry and, you know, roster this and roster that, then Travis Schlenk should also be fired because he's the one that put this team together. He's the one that made the choice to not take Luka Doncic, which by the way, is basically a decision you can be fired for. It's just true. The Suns have have found a way to rebound from that, and DeAndre Ayton flashes huge value at times that has, you know, at least given the way that everything else has worked, it hasn't been that big of a a downturn on them. They're a better team than the Mavericks this season. I understand that long-term that, you know, DeAndre Ayton is still likely to not be as good as Luka, but the Suns have recovered from that decision fairly well. They've got an all-world point guard, an all-world shooting guard, one of the best young uh, forward combos in the league. DeAndre Ayton, again, has his flashes. They've recovered from that. The Hawks haven't, right? They clearly made a mistake and they made the worst mistake because the player that they got maybe can't play in the playoffs, not only because he's so small that people will defend the hell out of him, you know, even if he's incredibly good, you know, he has his games where he can't get by some guys and also he can't defend anyone, right? He's just small. It just is what it is. It's not a knock on Trey Young. It's just that he's going to pretty much always be the worst, you know, defensive player in the league as long as Isaiah Thomas isn't back in the league. So 
So if you're going to sit here and pull the plug on anyone after this time, how about pulling the plug on the guy who made the franchise altering mistake that you might never be able to recover from? Like, okay, let's suppose for a moment that Luka Doncic is as good as, you know, his believers say he is. I'm on the record as saying that I think Luka's a very good player, but I think that there are flaws to his game that could prevent him from reaching some of the heights that people think. I picked him for MVP coming into the season because I thought that the narrative was, you know, set up for it. It hasn't been that way, but Luka Doncic is still an incredibly good player. So let's say that he is a multi-time MVP as people predict him to be. And you predicted, and you took a guy over him predicted to be a multi-time all-star and he is a good player, but you had literally who people believe is the face of the league. You had him right there and you chose someone else who like, we all knew his size was a problem. That was the thing about Trey Young. It was like everyone knew coming into the league, that could be a problem, but we still thought it would be fine, but we knew that that would be an issue. Now, Luca's defense was also questionable because because of, well, we don't know about his athleticism, blah, blah. I understand all that, but it's looking back, it seems insane that anyone would have considered Trey Young over Luca. And I think even at the time it was, I wanted DeAndre, but, you know, maybe that was crazy. Whatever. The point is, the decision was bad then, and it's bad now. It's worse now. It was almost defensible then, maybe, not really, sort of. And now it's not defensible at all. Now it's a terrible decision. So if anyone is going to be fired, the person who set your franchise up for a decade of disappointment is the one who should be fired. But that person happens to be white, and that person happens to have a reputation as coming from the Warriors organization, and so for some reason he's not fired. Despite the fact that Lloyd Pierce coached with the 76ers, which are another well-respected organization right now who, oh yeah, by the way, kept Brett Brown through years and years and years of sucking. Now, they knew that they were terrible. They knew that they were playing, you know, a young G League team. They knew that they weren't going to be good, and they knew that it was going to take time. And they even kept him longer than they kept Sam Hinkie. But again, why did his results not matter? If results are what matter, in the case of Lloyd Pierce, why did results not matter at the same point in Brad Stevens' career? Why did results not matter at the same point in Brett Brown's career? Why do results not matter at the same point in Travis Lank's career? Why was Monty Williams fired after making the playoffs for the first time in forever with the Hornets? Like all of these things that occur, it's, it's, it's madness. It's madness. It really is. It just, the level of disrespect that, that occurs, I, I feel horrible. I really do because I'm sitting here talking about this and I'm sitting here consuming this stuff and I buy NBA tickets and I go to games and I support the league when I'm still sitting here frustrated watching all of these things happen. We see coaches repeatedly get hired who don't deserve it. We see executives get second chances who don't deserve it. And sure, you know, maybe Lloyd Pierce isn't a good coach, but I don't actually know that because there's simply no way to properly evaluate him at this point there's just not how could you his first season there was no way they were going to win his second season literally shut down halfway through or whatever and now we're coming to a new season with with again minimal training camp he added a bunch of new players and they're just like figure it out 
And before we even reach the break to, well, hey, let's go watch all the film. Let's adjust what we're doing. They give him no chance. You have to at least give him a chance to coach this team into the play-in. If after three years it's not working and you gave him a chance to coach this team into the play-in and you can provide substantially, you know, I, I think, you know, look at this film. This is, we can see these breakdowns. He didn't make this adjustment. I think there is some of that. There could be some of that to be said, but how, in what world is firing him now going to make things better? In what world is this going to change anything and suddenly plot the Hawks on the course toward victory? The only thing that repeatedly firing coaches does, it shows that you're a rudderless fucking ship. It shows that your organization is bad from the top down. It shows that you don't have a good culture because there are just very few times that firing a coach midseason is ever a good thing. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, you can't ever do it or that, you know, Lloyd Pierce has such a track record that blah, blah, blah. But in what world, how does this make any sense? I know that if you're, if you're going to sit here and talk about his actual worst stretch of coaching, that was the beginning of last season when a lot of people kind of liked the Hawks and things didn't go the way that people anticipated. But, you know, they were given a mandate to get better this season. And I know that they weren't performing perfectly, but they were getting better. You're still doing better. You still need to give him an opportunity. I just can't believe they gave him no opportunity. And I still think even if at the end of this third year, you weren't happy, how do you not give him a training camp to get his team to the place that they need to be? I just don't understand how anyone wants to move on from coaches right now. I understand why the Timberwolves fired Ryan Ryan Saunders because they never should have hired him in the first place. But there's simply no way that you can tell me that you allowed your coach to make an effort to actually coach his team into the playoffs when you literally didn't even let him coach his team down the stretch. You didn't you you gave him no leeway. He had none. There was no room for error at all. He had to make an improvement when he never even had an opportunity to do so. And it just it's it's infuriating. It pisses me off. It's garbage. And, you know, this is just another move by the Atlanta organization that um Again, just shows that they're not that good of an organization. And anyone expecting that Atlanta is going to be the team to make a jump probably needs to stop betting on that. Because when you throw away every sign of progress at, you know, the behest of, you know, ownership, you know, making some grand demand or when you ignore the architect of the team um, and you only look at, you know, the the driver, uh, you know, or the don't look at don't look for flaws in the ship. Just look at the captain. He must have done it. I just it's oh. It's infuriating, it's frustrating, and it's just yet another example of the fact that despite the league being built by black players, and despite the league being only popular because of those black players, that somehow they are less than to everyone else in the league. They are somehow less important than the Travis Schlanks of the world. And, you know, it's just, it is, it's a good old boys club. You know, if you're a family member, then you can get a job. That's the Ryan Saunders thing. The infuriating thing about Ryan Saunders is not that he was fired. The infuriating thing about Ryan Saunders is that he was ever hired in the first place. And then what do they do? They hire another coach from another team over the black lead assistant on their bench. You, you never promote an assistant from another team to head coach mid season. You never do that ever. You don't do that. And so even with the Ryan Saunders situation, the most infuriating part is the fact that they had a qualified lead assistant on their bench, but he was black and they hired a white coach from another team instead. So you just, you look at this situation first, they hired a coach who didn't even deserve the job simply because his father meant a lot to the franchise. And then when they fire him, they replace him with an assistant from another team who they don't know intimately, who doesn't know this roster intimately, rather than the coach on the bench who actually does know the roster and has a relationship with all of those players. 
I, I just, there's no way to, you know what you should do? Here's what you should do. Listen to the Hoop Collective. It's probably a couple episodes ago. It's with Mark Spears and Brian Windhorst. Um, I can't remember who was the third one on that episode. I think it was was uh, Tim McMahon. In any case, they got the news that uh, Ryan Saunders had been fired and that Chris Finch was hired in real time. And you can hear Mark Spears just, he just can't believe that, um, he just can't believe that David Vanterpool didn't get the job in 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 Minnesota. David Vanterpool has been an assistant forever. He knows he's a great coach. Everyone loves him. He's been, he's known for player development. He's been with Minnesota. He knows that team. He's right there on the bench. And to hear you know Mark react in real time is all you need to hear. And you could tell he wanted to say a lot, but he had to bite his tongue because it's just unbelievable that David Vanterpool couldn't get this job. And I think you know it just he deserved it. And somehow it goes to Chris Finch. And, you know, I, it, it is what it is. And I think I, here I am, I'm guilty of it. I think I just said the Minnesota assistant a couple of times first. Well, I said Chris Finch and Ryan Saunders. So there you go. I'm even guilty of being a douchebag at times. The point is, no matter where you go, no matter where you look, you will be able to find examples of this, of nepotism, of racial inequality, and of pure outright racism in this league. And it's unfair. And it's wrong. And it's not something that I want to be a part of as an NBA fan. And I simply don't know what to do because all we ever hear is about, well, we're creating committees to work on racial inequality and we're creating diversity panels and all these things. And yet somehow nothing actually changes. Nothing has changed at all. And the league continues to create racist moments like this. I don't know what to do anymore. I mean, we can boycott the league with our dollars, right? Not pay for league pass, not buy tickets, but tons of other people will. And if we're boycotting the league that's 80% black, then we're just joining the stupid racists who are against Black Lives Matter. And we don't want to be doing that. So it just, it, there, something has to happen. And again, I've said this over and over, and I'm going to beat this drum again. The players should own the teams in this league. Tell me that being a franchise player who also has, you know, some sort of presidential power at, at the top of this team isn't going to make guys want to stay in a market. That definitely matters. And, you know, the, the whole thing about they just want to play in other cities, you know, they don't care about the teams, they just want to live their life. Well, yeah, they're people. They want to live their lives as they want. So let's give them a reason to care about the team. If you are part of the team and, you know, the players on the team have some sort of voting power about who's on the roster or whatever. I know it would be complicated to figure it out. Maybe a team president has to be appointed to make trades and free agency signings or whatever. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that these guys generate all the revenue. It comes from them. It's all them. I don't want to hear anything about, well, the owners put the bill for the lawyers and the board of governors, blah, 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 blah. They do nothing. They pay a franchise fee and then they take half of the money. They, they do nothing. They do literally nothing. They provide nothing. The only thing that they do is take half of the money from the people who actually generate it. And the simple fact of the matter is that they should not exist and they should not be a part of this game. And their undue influence is what creates this, this scenario and what allows it to persist. Because the simple fact of the matter is, is that if the board of governors is 95% white, there's no way that they're ever going to have a truly diverse league because they're not going to make the hires that are necessary to make the other hires that are necessary for a diverse league because they're going to continue to hire people who are in their family or who look like them or who are friends with their family 
family and they'll sell their teens to people who look like them or who know them or are in their family and it's just going to continue to go that way so the only way to truly truly change this is to begin to transition control of all of the teams to the players that's simply what it should be no one should disagree with that now if you want to argue with me that it should be only controlled by former players i'll listen to that argument I'll listen to the argument that the only people who should actually be in charge at the tippy top of a team is someone who actually understands a team ecosystem because they were part of it. And maybe we could say no one who played in the NBA for less than 10 years could own a team or something like that. I, I don't know. There are a lot of scenarios that are possible. But the simple fact of the matter is that the way the system is set up right now does not work. Because it truly, truly is a scenario in which owners pay their fee to buy into the team, whether it's an expansion fee or the fee for purchasing a franchise, whatever it is, they buy their way into the league and then they suddenly have a vote on how everything goes. And it doesn't matter who they are or what their background is or what they know about basketball, which is generally nothing. But then they suddenly have so much control that they're able to affect the future of the league. And what does that mean? It means that white guys like Travis Slank get to fire black guys like Lloyd Pierce at a whim because they want to. Now, I don't know where this decision came from. I don't know if this came from the top. I don't know if it came from Travis Slank. I don't particularly care. I care about the optics of this happening over and fucking over. Because at a certain point, I don't want to hear anymore about, well, the individual situation was different. I don't want to hear about that stuff anymore. I don't care. The optics matter. And the optics are bullshit. So what are you going to do about it, NBA? What are you going to do? You're not going to just keep letting this happen. How could you let this happen? How could you to let this continue to fucking occur? And if the simple fact of the matter is that the board of governors will not make these changes on their own, then take the teams away from them. We don't need them. There's plenty of money in this league. And guess what? If the players were splitting up all that money, they'd have plenty of money to pay all of the, you know, the employees of the teams and everything else. So let's just do this. Let's set up a plan. Let's divest all of the board of governors. They're done. They're gone. They're going to get interest payments. They'll get their money back. They're going to get paid for their teams because that's the only thing in the world that they care about is their money. So they'll get paid. They'll get divested. And over time, we pay them off, get them the fuck out, and the players own their teams. That's what this needs to be. That's the plan that needs to be put in place. Everyone needs to look at Michelle Roberts. Let's let's get to her. She's been a very good executive director for the NB, NBPA. She's been awesome. She is she is the one who really truly showed how the owners were trying to manipulate the media in terms of the cap spike situation. You know, the owners wanted to create a situation or the managing partners, excuse me, wanted to create a situation where the cap rise would be smooth so that it wouldn't occur in one year like it did in 2016. And, you know, a lot of us were like, well, yeah, that might be smart because of blah, blah, blah. And Michelle Roberts uh, did a podcast with Bomani Jones uh, and uh, basically said to him, you know, uh, I don't know what people think was going to happen, but if the money didn't go to the players in that scenario, it was going to go to the owners. So there was no scenario with cap smoothing or anything else. She said, you know, we looked at every single economic proposal and no matter what, if you didn't do the cap spike, then the players don't get that money. The owners do. And so there was no way that we were ever going to do something in favor of the owners. And that's just, she's done a great job in that, in that, in that area. And I just think that they should look to her and say, how do we get these guys out of the league? Cause we simply don't need them. And again, I've said this before too, for all the people who think that that couldn't occur, every single player in this league could retire immediately and nullify their contracts. Now that might cause a lot of problems with advertisements and whatever, but let me tell you something. If LeBron James did that kind of shit, 
Well, other people would follow suit, and I don't think that anyone else would give a fuck when they created their new league that was streaming on Twitch or something. I guarantee you people would fucking show up to watch it, okay? The players are the ones that matter, and all of the court documents and all of the rich people money and all of the lawyers and blah, 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 all that shit doesn't matter. And when the players can't even get the respect that they deserve, how are coaches going to get it? Because we know that coaches are hired to be fired. We know that they are essentially fodder. Whenever something's going wrong, you fire the coach, right? That's the first move. Fire the coach. Well, he didn't understand what we were trying to do, blah, blah, blah. We thank him for his service, but now it's time to go in a new direction. It's always the case, right? You just fire the coach. No big deal. So if the players can't get respect, how will a coach get respect? If LeBron James can't get enough respect from Americans to listen to his opinion, then how is Lloyd Pierce going to get it? And that's ultimately the problem in this league. If you don't have to respect a black player as a fan or as a managing partner, you don't have to respect a black coach or a black executive. And that's the way that the managing partners and board of governors feel. That is the way that the majority of executives in this league feel. And they will argue and say that they don't. But the simple fact of the matter is that they're clearly fine with all of the jobs of the higher ups being done by white people. That's fine with them. They don't have any problem with that. They don't understand that their ecosystem is broke. They don't understand that they don't deserve the jobs that they have. And that's just true in so many cases. And here we're going to see another example of, you know, and I know, and, and if, if it, it just, it's, I don't know what else to say. You know, I don't know what else to say on the subject. And I, you know, it doesn't, it, some people will try to claim that it's not racist because they want to hire Nate McMillan and those will be white people. And those people don't understand that they are showing that they too believe that black people are replaceable if you can just fire one black coach and replace him with another one. And I don't even want to say that because I know that bullshit takes going to be out there, but it's going to be fucking true that people think that. And if you think that, fuck you. I'm tired of these fucking people. <sighs> I, yeah. So, Okay. I'm mad. I've vented. I've said, dude, ugh. I just, I, I've said what needs to be said. The one other thing I wanted to talk about was the first surprise of the day, which was JJ Watt posting a picture of himself in an Arizona Cardinals t-shirt. And he was working out showing that he signed with the Cardinals. Then it came out that he got a two year contract. I think a uh, 31 million and uh 23 million guaranteed. So it came in over that 15 million a year that he was supposedly offered when, you know, we heard that over the weekend and people were like, no, probably not. He would have signed that already. I'm going to say this. It came in at a lot more money than I thought. I didn't really think he was going to get north of 10 million. You know, I thought that it was going to be like a, you know, kind of one year, eight, nine million, something like that, you know, or maybe he would take a discount with the contender. I, you know, I didn't know, but I did not think it was going to be something like this. So number one, obviously money was important because he certainly went to a team that had enough cap space, um, you know, in order to give him, you know, a large contract, you know, 23 million guaranteed is nothing to sneeze at at age 32 um you know for a guy who hasn't been as productive in the last few years as he once was so it's certainly a decent contract it's you know big value obviously there's escalators and incentives probably for you know sacks and winning you know whatever the case may be we'll get the details on the contract what it actually is over the coming days you know how these things go um but i will say one thing about this i have gone on this podcast and said that 
the reason I believe that the Buccaneers and Chiefs were in the Super Bowl this year was because they had done everything that they could going all in to try to win a Super Bowl. And I think this is an example of the Arizona Cardinals doing that. They clearly struggled to create takeaways on defense. They clearly struggled on defense in general. So go out and sign a name who's going to bolster your unit. Is J.J. Watt what he once was? Probably not. Is Chandler Jones what he once was? Probably not. If you had these two in 2018 or 2017 or something, like I can't even imagine. That'd be the most nightmare defensive line ever. But playing together both certainly helps them. They're going to be able to help each other. And the simple fact of the matter is that even if they're not both at the height of their powers, playing off of each other is going to allow them to, I mean, they'll certainly at times look like themselves again. So this is a good signing for the Cardinals. It's a good decision. They probably still need help in the secondary, especially depending on what goes on with Pat Peterson. Um, you know, there are other possibilities there. But, you know, the simple fact of the matter is you have Kyler Murray on a rookie deal, and that doesn't last very long. You know, it seems like it's long. Oh, it's four or five years, blah, blah, et cetera. But the simple fact of the matter is that it goes up over time. And then you've got to pay him that huge, big extension. And I think that J.J. Watt's contract runs out. It's a two-year deal. I think it runs out right before Murray's extension kicks in. You've got like a two-year window here while Murray is still on this cheap deal, maybe two, three years um, with, you know, depending on if you consider the fifth-year option cheap, whatever the case may be. you got a couple of years to do this, right? So... This is the Cardinals saying, hey, we're going all in. We recognize that we need to do that. We need to get better. And I also think this is actually a vote of confidence in Cliff Kingsbury, to be honest, because if you're willing to spend money on the team and you're willing to let Steve Kime make a splash signing like this, you're showing that you believe that this team is close because you don't sign J.J. Watt unless you are trying to get yourself over the top. And J.J. Watt doesn't sign with the Cardinals unless he believes that he's the piece to help put the team over the top. So there has to be some sort of faith in Cliff Kingsbury. I think that they like him more than we thought. Um, obviously, probably DeAndre Hopkins also helps. Uh, you know, Watt and Hopkins have respect for each other. Now they're both here. Um, so, you know, I think that overall, this was a smart decision. I don't know if it was the best financial allocation of resources. We'll have to see. Um, you know, again, it just depends, like, what does J.J. Watt have in the tank? If you go look at last year's stats, they're not good. But, you know, go also ask him how much he thinks anyone on his team was even competing last year. And if he's getting double teamed all the time while no one else is doing anything, well, then, you know, it's really kind of hard to say. So overall, I think this is a good decision. I think they may be slightly overpaid, but I think this was a scenario where they had to overpay to get their guy. Because if money was a consideration... And it seems like it was. It seems like for J.J. Watt, he wanted to go somewhere that he was the missing piece where he could still be paid appropriately, but that he wouldn't necessarily be glomming on. You know, I, I saw some people talking about, and I think I even mentioned the idea of him coming to, you know, the Buccaneers to sort of chase a championship or something. And ultimately, that really didn't make any sense because... You know, he, I think, wants to be seen as a difference maker and a reason that a team wins and not someone who's simply, you know, glommed on or whatever. And so this one makes sense to me. If you win a championship in Arizona, you know, you're a hero forever, especially if you're a major part of it. So I understand why he did it. I do think he and Chandler Jones can be effective together, um, especially if the Cardinals add another secondary piece, then I think they are a Super Bowl contender. Kingsbury needs to improve the offense a little bit. They need to thicken up the playbook. They need to bring in a mind that really they need to bring in someone on that offense to, to really help them out there but if they can do that if they can expand this playbook a little bit get a more cohesive functional offense that actually throws the ball downfield early in games that you know can consistently run the ball and actually maybe play chase Edmonds, for example 
Um, you know, whatever the case may be, you add this guy and then you add a piece in your secondary, maybe you keep Pat Pete, whatever the case may be, you do those things and they're a contender. So I like this move. I think it's the right move. It was shocking. I didn't see anything about it. Pretty much everything about J.J. Watt was about Wisconsin or the Browns or how he was not going to play with his brothers in Pittsburgh. Um, I never saw anything about the Cardinals. I'm not saying that no one had it anywhere, but I just, I, as far as I know, this is one of the bigger shocks of free agency that we've seen in a while. It just kind of came out of nowhere. He posted it himself. It was a cool thing, you know. Um, but certainly the interesting thing was that uh, you know, over the weekend, we heard that there were rumors about, you know, him potentially being offered a certain amount of money, uh, you know, 15, 16 million, and people thought there was no possibility that he was offered that much. Well, it turns out he was, and he took it. So, the other thing that's interesting about this is that this affects what happens with Von Miller, I think, because there's probably no way that Von Miller is going to want to take less than that, even, you know, coming off, uh, you know, his injury situation. I think that, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I, he's still younger. I think he's going to. I think he's going to try to demand more money. So that's and I think he'll be able to get it. So that's you know, maybe a moving on situation. It's just going to be interesting to see how these things go. Um, but overall, I think this was a smart move by the Cardinals. Sometimes you got to pay to get your guy. You've got the money because Kyler's on a rookie contract. They think you do it. I think they made the right choice. And that is the Blunt Doctor Show. On a frustrating Monday, a Monday where I'd hope to have a better, happier mood for my podcast, but... Yet again, we see the powers that be do evil shit, and it makes me fucking rant. But luckily for me, I guess, ranting is what I'm good at. It's probably when I'm at my best. So, yeah. Join us tomorrow when I talk about what happened tonight. It'll be very exciting. Peace.